Good evening. Good evening. Am I on? Okay, there we go. I got a green light. Are we in good order? Okay, if y'all can hear me, then we're good. It is a blessing to be with you tonight. Thank you for being here and, and giving your time to the worship of our great God. Uh, when I was asked to speak this evening, it's always hard to know what do you say on a, on a single occasion, just, just one shot. What do you, what do you say? What, what do you say to a people that you don't really know and, and they don't really know you? And I decided I would just say the thing that I think is the most important thing in all the world, the thing that I believe is the most pertinent thing in all the world, and it is uh, concerning something that Jesus called us to do in the most famous sermon that was ever preached. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And we, we speak of that in general terms. We know light sheds, it, 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 op it exposes darkness, it reveals darkness, it shows the way to people. It helps people understand where they're hurting and helps them to see the room and their surroundings. We speak about it in general terms, but tonight I want to talk specifically about what, what does Jesus have in mind when he says that we are to be the light? In what manner and in what way is Jesus calling us to behave? So I'll put, that, I'll put a pin in that just for a moment and speak just for a moment to the culture that we live in and this time and this day and age. A number of years ago, I was reading an article on First Things, which is somewhat of a scholarly uh, journal that, that speaks to social issues. And the author was speaking about this kind of growing phenomenon amongst uh, college-age kids that when they go off to school, they are requiring and asking for uh, safe spaces, a place where they can go where there's no criticism, a place where they can go and have uh, just a place where there's not going to be any pressure. They can just be themselves. They can, uh, they can cry on a shoulder if they need to. They can have their needs met, some kind of counsel. And there's a tendency, and this is admittedly the way that I would, you know, there's sort of a knee-jerk reaction to that kind of thing. Because you look at it and you say, well, it shouldn't be that way. It should be that when you leave the home, you're, you're well-rounded and you're standing on your two feet and you can manage yourself. So there's a knee-jerk reaction to look at that and to say, well, you know, that person needs to be stronger, that person needs to mature, that person needs to stop being so weak, and to speak in those kinds of terms. But the author pointed something out that helped me change my perspective on it. Not in that I would then think it's okay, but that I would better have compassion for those that are enduring it and why it is that they're in that situation. He said, the two foundational pillars of any thriving society, for, for a society to thrive and for a people to be healthy and for minds to be healthy, the two pillars that a society is built on are faith and family. That is, being surrounded and nourished and brought up in, a, in an environment where you are with loved ones and there is a belief in a higher power and a hope beyond this life and some transcendent being who can help you through whatever it is that you're going to have to endure. The author pointed out that a large percentage of those in our land have been brought up at least, at least lacking one of these and a number of them have been brought up lacking both of them. 
And so he said, perhaps we should listen a bit closer. I think when we take that into account, it helps us to understand why it is that somebody would be hopeless, why it is that someone would feel so unsafe. The fact is, I, I take for granted. I, I was brought up in a loving home. My dad's a preacher. My, my mom uh, uh, was, was right there the whole time. She, she raised us. She stayed home with us. And I have that pillar standing, and I have my faith in Jesus, and I'm standing on that, but I often take for granted that my confidence and my assurance and my hope in this world is built on those things. A lot of people do not have them. Shifting gears, when we were, uh, Larry mentioned that we were missionaries in the Caribbean. We were in the Cayman Islands. We were on Grand Cayman. We were on the East End uh, District of Grand Cayman. And so if you've ever been on a cruise and you stopped in Georgetown there at the harbor, we were the far end of the island, about 22 miles away. Uh, so we were there for five years, during which time my wife was a teacher in the public school system. And one of the cool things about the Cayman Islands is that they, the Bible is a part of their curriculum. They, this was never, it was never taken out of the schools. So every day as a part of her teaching they had a devotional. There was some kind of gospel-centered message. In fact, on a number of occasions, because I was a local minister, I was asked to go and speak to school-wide assemblies, faculty, staff, all the students, about a number of gospel-centered messages. My favorite was that one year I was able to talk to a thousand high school students about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this was in their public school. So this was, this was a blessing for us, and we enjoyed this very much. But prior to moving there, I had always assumed that some of the social decline that we see in our land was, would, would coincide with when we brought the Bible out of school. Take, take the Bible out of school, and that was kind of, and sometimes you hear, but that, that was the start of it. That's where it happened. But the thing that struck me is that the social issues in the Cayman Islands were as big of a problem there as they are here. And this despite this one pillar still standing, at least societally. Societally, God was brought into everything. He was brought into the politics. He was brought into the schools. He was brought everywhere. And yet, the social issues were just as great. And the reason was because it wasn't the Christian pillar that necessarily had been toppled, but it was the other pillar. It was the pillar of the family. So tonight, I'm going to be talking about what we should do about this. What do we do? What do we do when we look out into the world and we see issues that are there? Well, generally speaking, what did Jesus say? Be the light. Be, be, be somebody that sheds light. Be somebody that makes a way. Somebody that shows others where, uh, where they are to go. But a couple things we shouldn't be. Number one, we shouldn't be pessimists. I, I understand when we look out, we listen to the media it can bring us into a pessimistic state of mind. When we see the way that things are, when, it, when we see the way things appear to be heading, we can be pessimists. Well, we should not be uh, pessimists who are derailed by the media. We also should not be apathetic like Hezekiah was. So some, they see the, they see the issues in the world and they, they, they can do nothing but complain about them. And there are others that see the issues in the world and they think, well, just so long as these problems don't ever affect me, or just so long as I'm gone before the problems get really bad. When Judah was getting ready to be taken off into captivity, 
um, envoys were sent from Babylon. And they came and they, they went to Jerusalem and they, they looked at the house of Hezekiah and they looked at everything that he had. And he was at, this is Isaiah 39, he was a bit of a showboat. He showed him everything that he had. Showed him all his treasures, he showed him his sons, he showed him his big family, and he was bragging about these things. Well, Isaiah came to him after the fact, and Isaiah said, Behold, the days are coming when everything that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing which your fathers have stored up till this day shall... Uh, shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So this, this is a hard word from the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah concerning God's judgment and God's punishment on his house. He had disobeyed God, and Israel as a whole had been unfaithful. So God said, this is the situation. All your riches are going to be taken. Your sons are going to be taken. They're going to be emasculated in, in the house of a pagan king. And the, the shocking thing is the response that Hezekiah had to this. It says that Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Some, some see the issues... And they are pessimistic, they're hopeless, they're doomsday. Well, we can't be that. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Some see the issues and they're apathetic. And they think, well, so long as it never affects me personally. Some see the issues and they think we need to run headlong at every issue and address them like a band-aid. There's a social issue here, there's a drug problem here. Let's go headlong at each one of these. And they ultimately end up just being band-aids. C.R. Wiley, in his uh, really great book, The Household and the War for the Cosmos, he said something that I thought was insightful, and I've found it to be very true. He said, when the church chases the world, and, and it's, done in, it's done with good intention. It's, here's an issue over here. Shouldn't we go fix this issue? When the church chases the world, she loses herself, because there's always some measure of groveling there. Or a measure of how can I, you know, accommodate. But when the church chases heaven, she gains the world. So the idea is, where should the church focus its energies when we look around the world and we see areas that need light? Well, look to heaven and see what Lord God Almighty has to say. And if we were to look up and to see Jesus enthroned on high, where he said in Revelation 21.5, I am making all things new. When we see Jesus enthroned on high with all authority in heaven and on earth, he has, he has every bit of authority that exists anywhere. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. If we were to look at him, what would he say? Well, generally he'd say, be the light. And again, that brings us right back to where we started. But what precisely does that mean? I look at that call sometimes, and I look out into this world with so many areas of darkness, and it's a big call, and it is honestly an overwhelming call. How could Jesus say to so insignificant a group, especially at that time, 
when you consider the world population and just this small fraction of a people, how can he say, you're the light of the world. You are the way that the world gets lit up. You're how people see. You're how people will find their way. That's overwhelming. And I wonder, are there any clues in the text where Jesus gave it, in the sermon when he said it, that would help us know exactly what he means and down at a level that we can actually get our hands around and we can wrap our heads around and we can get to work doing something about it. And I think that he absolutely did. If you want to join me in your Bibles, I want to point out something to you in a very familiar passage, but probably a passage, uh, a part of the passage that is unfamiliar uh, to you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 is the text that I'm going to read. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And then in verse 16, Jesus says something right at the beginning that clues me in to exactly what he means. How in the world am I one person who's stationary sitting in this? How can I possibly be the light of the world? Well, notice what Jesus said in verse 16. In the same way as what he just said before, and I'll comment on that. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, in what way? Well, just back up. Sometimes when we read Matthew 5, 14 and 15, we think that Jesus is giving three illustrations that are all expressing precisely the same point. He's saying there's light of the world, there's light of the city, there's light from a lamp. You just, you just need to shine, and then we keep it in general terms. Yet Jesus is not giving the same illustration over and over again. Jesus is speaking about three different spheres of light. Notice how Jesus moves from the biggest one, which is the world, and then he moves down to a local one, which is the city, and then where does Jesus end up? With a light that comes from inside a house. Not, not a light, not a lamp post outside the house. Not somebody that has lights on, but a light that is inside the house, and a light that would then be seen by who? Who? Those that are in the house. In what way am I a light to the world? I'm a light to the world when I'm a light in my home. I'm a light to the world when I'm a light to my wife. In fact, that's the only way that I'm a light. If I'm a light to everyone but those nearest to me, then it's not real light. It's an artificial kind of light. But something powerful begins to happen when we focus our energies within the four walls of our living quarters and we say, this day I'm going to wake up with the intention of, you know, we, we, we sing the song, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We, we sing those, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But when you wake up with the intention of bringing that into the four walls of your house, when you wake up with a prayer that says, God, today I want to be loving and peaceful and patient and kind and good. 
and gentle and self-controlled with my spouse. And I want to be all these things with my kids. And I want to be these things with my mother-in-law and with my father-in-law. And when you're a child, I want to be these things with my parents, even when I move out of the house. Jesus is telling us very clearly how it is that we be a light. We be a light to the world when we're a light from where we're standing and where we spend the majority of our time. There is a powerful testimony when you look on a family that's in fellowship with one another. When you look on a family where, you know, we, we come to church and, and, and we make profession, we make faith professions everywhere that we go in broader society. But when you look on a family who's taken those faith professions into the environment where nobody publicly is going to be able to see it. See, I've heard my whole life, you know, we, we give the worst to the people nearest to us. We give the best to those outside and, and we give the worst to those nearest. And we, and we, we say, well, it's okay to be grumpy. It's okay because they know me. You know, they know me and they're going to have to put up with it. They know me and they can't leave. But what if we were to take our energies and put them inside our houses? I think that this is incredibly consistent with the calling of Jesus all through Scripture. Jesus always took it to the heart of the matter, didn't he? Jesus, Jesus rebuked those whose faith was lived out in public, broader society, and he called them right to the heart of the matter. It starts in here, and then it's going to be spread immediately to those in our vicinity. I want to show you another scripture and then give you some uh, very specific applications before we conclude. Maybe you see that passage in Matthew 5 and you think, that you, you think, well, maybe that's a stretch. Maybe Jesus wasn't saying that. Maybe he wasn't saying light of the world starts in the home. I, I think it's clear that he was because he says in the same way, in the same way as what he just explained. And it's consistent with the rest of his teachings. But let me show you one other scripture. This is the last verse of the Old Testament Bible. The last book, Malachi, the last chapter, chapter 4. The last verse, verse 6. And Elijah is talking about the great and awesome day of the Lord. This would be the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus on earth. And he's, it says there that Elijah is going to precede the Lord. Elijah would come beforehand, right? Who was Elijah? Well, that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist would come and he'd make the way for Jesus. Before the kingdom of Jesus could come, John came and John made a way. And again... How often do we stop to consider in what way did John the Baptist make the way ready? What did he do? What exactly did he do to prepare people for the coming of Jesus? And the question could be asked today, what precisely could we do to prepare hearts for the Lord and for the King Jesus? What precisely could we do? Well, let's look and see what it says of Elijah. He, this is before, so this day the Lord is coming, John is coming, this is Elijah, and he's making the way, and this is what it says. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Why was he doing that? To make the way ready. When I said at the beginning, in the Cayman Islands, Christianity is there. It was nominally there. It was societally there. It was taught. It was verbal. It was all there. But when it wasn't in the home, 
it didn't matter what was happening out in broader society. When it was lacking in the home, then the other pillar really wasn't holding up much. It held up a couple of superficial laws and it held up a couple of traditions. But beyond that, not much. So isn't that interesting that the preparation for the kingdom of Jesus is the, is the reformation in the home, the way that people engage with one another. It's amazing to me that the kingdom of Jesus came on the heels of homes being restored. And I believe if we're going to build the kingdom in this world, that ought to be our first stop, starting in my home, and then moving to everybody else after that. So let me finish by giving some specific applications. There's an exchange in Matthew chapter 3. Again, these are some scriptures I think we're very familiar with. But this is uh, God the Father, Jesus the Son... Jesus comes to John the Baptist, his forerunner, and he says to John the Baptist, I need to be baptized. And John says, I can't, I'm not even worthy to take off the sandals from your feet. I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. What did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said, let it be so, because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then this is what the text says. When Jesus was baptized, this is Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So here's an exchange between the perfect Father and the perfect Son. And I think if you can look on the perfect father and the perfect son, we ought to be able to draw out some principles for how we can behave and interact in our own homes. Here are five, and this is spitfire fashion. I won't spend much time. Each one of these could be its own lesson. But the first one is that Jesus obeyed the father. Jesus honored the father even when the command that the father gave did not make sense to those who were watching. There's a powerful testimony in our youth when their peers are pressuring them one direction and they say, I'm going to honor mom and dad in this. It may not be good in one respect for me. It may not be socially good for me, but I'm going to honor them even if it doesn't make sense. The, there's, there's power in the testimony of a child whose heart is turned to their parents. And the same thing when we get out of our homes. Some people, I understand, didn't have the greatest upbringing. I understand that some have, have been through hard times with their parents. But there's great power when you see someone whose parents were not everything that they should be or everything that they should have been, and that person lives in an honorable way toward them despite it, simply because the Bible calls us to do it. Number two, the father's door was open to his son. Notice that it says that the heavens were opened up so there, there was an access point between the son and the father. The distance wasn't there. The father was available. The, generally speaking, what this means in our homes is that we are going to be there for one another. There's going to be an open door. We, we will be present. But the third application, and this is, this is the one where I think it really hits home, is that the, the presence of the father wasn't just physical it wasn't just that he was there in the sense that he was there but the presence of the father was actually felt by his son the scripture says that god sent the spirit from heaven and it came down and it descended on the son 
So the presence of the Father was felt in a, in a real and a, in a tangible way. And I think that what this means in our homes is that we ought to be present. We ought to be present for our children, present for one another, not just bodily, but by taking these, turning them off, and setting them down at dinner. And gathering around sometimes in the living room and opening up the scriptures and listening to our children and talking to them and letting them hear from us and turning off the TV. And sometimes when the, there's a work call that's interfering with something that's important, set it aside. The presence wasn't just bodily, but it was felt in an emotional kind of way. Number four, the father announced his son. He said, this is my beloved son. This, there, there's power in that. As parents, there's power in telling our kids, I love you. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I'm your father. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And everything that is mine is yours. Every single night, I tell my boys this list of things before I tuck them in their beds. I want them to hear it. I want them to know that I'm their father and they're my sons. And we've got a little daughter. I've got to include her too. She's my daughter. And then lastly, the father praised his son. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Kids are hungry for that, aren't they? They're hungry to hear that they pleased their mom and dad. That's why they draw all those pictures and bring them to you. I made this for you. I saw a meme the other day that said that the majority of parenthood is saying wow to a bunch of unidentifiable skills. <laughs> I know y'all know, y'all with kids, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Some, they do some crazy thing over here to the side. Wow, that, that was good. That, that's a part, they're hungry for that. Tell them, good job. I love you. You did a great job. I'm proud of you. That building that kind of a dynamic, the, the idea is there's proximity, there's openness, eyes, we're looking at one another, we're talking to one another, we're engaged with one another, and we love one another, and we're, we're agreeing to let the truth of the gospel come directly into the place where it ultimately matters the very most. That ought not be the place where it's neglected, and here's the truth of it. If I will be a light in my house to my wife and to my kids, and my wife to me and my kids to us, then I'm going to be a light on my front lawn. If, if I'm a light in my house, I'm going to go be a light on my front lawn. It, it, I won't have to think, oh, new face, come on outside and smile at the neighbors. No, if I'm a light in my home, I'm going to be a light on my lawn. And if I'm a light on my lawn, my neighbors are going to see it and they're going to wonder, what is it that you have? What are you doing? And they're going to want a part of it. And if you get enough people doing that, soon enough you've got a city that's full of light. And soon enough that city is going to be bright enough that it's going to be able to send out waves into the world. And the world's going to be able to look on a city like this and say, there's a lot of light coming from there. What did they do? Well, I would expect that they did exactly what John the Baptist did in preparation for Jesus. They prepared hearts of fathers for their sons, hearts of sons for their fathers, and they restored that loving environment in the home. If you'll commit to that, I believe that your light will be very bright. If you have a need this evening, a spiritual need, a physical need, if you need a prayer, if you need wisdom, if you need to repent of something, if you need to give your life to Jesus, 
I'm told that now is the opportunity and this is the time to let that be known. And so we would ask that you please come while we stand and sing this song.